Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning, everyone. I am delighted to have Beth Finnerty, CEO of Skyland Trail, a psychiatric facility, and uh, David Martin, CEO of Vein Innovations, a medical facility that treats um, uh, varicose veins here in Atlanta. And um, one of the things that's really exciting about today's broadcast is they're also a married couple. Um, so folks who listen know that we always have folks on the show who know each other and support each other in business because I believe that our relationships form the foundation of our success as CEOs. And so um, it's delightful to have uh, folks who are supporting each other as a, as a couple on, on the show with us. So thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to be here. So I'd love to start the show, as we always do, by asking you about the trends in your industry that you think are really important for people to know about. Um, so, Beth, you want to take that one? Sure. Uh, I guess I'll just start by uh, telling everybody what Skyland Trail is. We are a community-based treatment program for adults who have major mental illnesses here in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, we have just celebrated our 25th anniversary of operations to Atlanta and beyond. Congratulations. And thank you. Uh, I've had the pleasure and honor of being at Skyland Trail for 25 years in my role as first executive director and now president and CEO. And I guess over the 25 years, the trends that I have seen really involve uh, a lot of issues around stigma that surround mental illness. And uh, 25 years ago, as you and I were talking before the show, it was something that a lot of people didn't really talk about. And today, I think it's uh, uh, something that people are more comfortable talking about. I think that with all the media coverage of mental health issues, um, suicide in our college-age students, I think people... Um, um, are willing to talk about it, and, which is great because I think the more people are willing to talk about it, the more they're willing to get treatment and to to tell others about the pain they're experiencing. Uh, that That's a big trend that I've seen. I think another trend that uh, is really a good trend is um, better insurance coverage for people with mental health issues. I think in 2008 we had a, the parity law passed, and it's just been put into place in the last couple of years, and certainly the Affordable Care Act uh, that is now in place has been very uh, beneficial or very friendly toward uh, the mental health field. We certainly still have a long way to go. I think the parity laws uh, say that people, that, that mental health coverage should be on par with physical health coverage in terms of uh, number of visits and lifetime maximums. Um, we, uh, we do accept a lot of insurance, and most major insurances at Skyland Trail. We still have to fight for days, and it's not um, always on par with, with uh, physical illnesses, but it's something that we're seeing improvements in. When you say fight for days for folks who are not in health care, can you? Um, so uh, behavioral health is, is governed by or managed by the insurance benefits for mental health are, are managed by managed care organizations. And the, the folks in the managed care organizations are talking to our clinicians and our utilization review specialists to ensure that continued stay in a mental health facility is necessary. So let's just say you go in for um, a physical ailment like, let's say, heart surgery. You have a certain number of days, and you're, um, you go in for surgery, you recover, and you go home. And there's really no question about how long you might need to stay in the hospital. If you have a mental health issue and you go to a psychiatric institution, 
you, the clinicians have to constantly prove to insurance companies that uh, uh, days, extra days are needed for this person who is either in a psychiatric institution or at a place like Skyland Trail, a residential treatment center or a day treatment center. So we may have to, our utilization review specialist may be on the phone um, every day talking to the clinicians at the managed care organizations um, and I'm going to say fighting for one day, two days, or three days, which I think is unfortunate. Um, I think that if people could understand that uh, good outcomes result from good treatment, it doesn't happen in three days or five days, but sometimes it may take 30 days or 45 days or even 60 days or longer to affect positive change in someone's life from a mental health issue, they might be more willing to pay for longer stays. Great. Um, Another another big trend that we're seeing is a lot of younger adults who are now suffering from mental illness. So we can get into that if you want to later. Yeah. Well, and David, what what are you seeing in, at Vain Innovations in terms of trends? Well, of course, we treat uh, a physical issue that used to require surgery. We now treat in the office, and it's all catheter-based treatment. So with all things medical, and particularly with all things surgical, the trend is to get smaller and smaller and smaller, so the devices become less invasive and easier to use and so on and so forth. We haven't had any really major advance in, in what we do particularly uh, for the past eight or ten years, but we certainly see them coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we, we do a, a, a procedure that is not quite surgical but almost, and I think we'll see less and less of the surgery part. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm also really delighted to have a couple folks in here who are in healthcare. And I'm wondering what you're seeing in terms of the Affordable Care Act. You alluded to it a little bit, Beth, about the affordable, the effect of Affordable Care Act on your business to the extent that there has been any. Uh, there certainly has been an effect on our business, and I think we, you, we are really classified as a practice that does elective but medically necessary type surgery. Now, of course, when the Affordable Care Act began, suddenly there were millions of previously uninsured, this huge pool of people who were newly insured, and there was no money, really no reservoir of funds to pay for their care. So this gave the insurance companies the opportunity, and oddly they took it, to raise premiums, to raise deductibles, uh, and to, to change the parameters of care. And it'll take a few years for that to sort out. So it really had a negative impact on us, although I, I am quick to say I think the Affordable Care Act is a, a very good thing, and I'm glad it, I'm glad it, uh, it passed and is uh, in effect. Why is that? Why do you... Because it, it's always seemed ludicrous to me that we have this highly developed, industrialized nation with this huge pool of uninsured. Now, of course, they're not really uninsured because no one in the United States is allowed to die in the streets. That's not how it works here, fortunately. But someone someone who doesn't have insurance has a, a, a sore throat, for instance, they'll, they'll go to the emergency room for treatment. Emergency rooms cannot, by law, turn anyone away if they receive any sort of federal funding. And by that, I mean Medicare, Medicaid, mm-hmm. et cetera. So in the end, we end up paying for it regardless, you and I. Mm-hmm. And insurance companies end up paying for it regardless, and hospitals end up paying for it. So it, it makes perfect sense to me that we should have, we should have a, a mandated form of insurance. Got it. What about you, Beth? You, you started to talk about the effect of the Affordable Care Act. Yeah. So the Affordable Care Act um, allowed young adults to stay on their parents' insurance coverage up to the age of 26. It's one of the things it did, yeah. That's one of the things it did, exactly. And for us at Skyland Trail, that we really um, – the fastest-growing segment of our population that needs treat, that is coming in for treatment at Skyland Trail are young adults between the ages of 18 and 26, it just so happens. Now – People ask us all the time why. Certainly a part of that could be because 
parents now have insurance coverage for their young adults and they are uh, willing to seek treatment. But I also think there's a lot more pressures on our young adults today and, and typically mental health issues strike when uh, uh, a person reaches the age of 18, in the 18 to 22-year-old age range. That's when you see schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, major depression really exacerbating itself. It's, uh, it's wonderful that parents now have coverage for these young adults uh, when this first strikes um, up to the age of 26. So that's been a real uh, plus, I think, for a lot of families. Mm-hmm. And, and are you guys seeing growth? In, in, uh, you just kind of indicated that you're seeing growth but what kinds of growth are you seeing in your businesses? Well, we, uh, as a nonprofit, we're seeing growth in number of clients served, and mm-hmm. we've had a steady incline over the years, and in particularly in the last five years. We, uh, we have a full continuum of care from residential treatment, so we have beds in the community and in multiple campuses, and we offer day treatment services and outpatient aftercare services. We have just completed a major capital campaign. We raised $18 million in the Atlanta community in about oh. a year. Wow. Uh, that is gonna Congratulations. F- thank you. It, and it, that really just goes to show that the Atlanta community has really rallied around and sees the importance of very high-quality, good mental health treatment. We are using about $16 million of that money to build a brand-new campus specifically dedicated to young adults. So we are going to be building a 35,000-square-foot 32-bed campus um, adjacent to our main campus off North Druid Hills Road that will treat young adults in a very specialized um, and sequestered environment. So uh, that'll give us a total of 80 beds uh, in Atlanta that that service the adults that we're treating. What about you, David? What kind of growth are you seeing? Well, uh, curiously, this requires a little story. We've been at this. I love stories. We've been at this about thirteen years. Well, the story is that generally advances in medicine occur in the university setting, right, in the academic setting, and they filter their way out to the community. Ours is an advance that began in the community and had to filter its way back into the academic setting. So, the general ten-year span for 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 to go from innovation to to actualization is doubled. And in the beginning, we spent most of our time trying to educate people about the nature of venous insufficiency, which is what we treat, and for which the only uh, previous cure was a vein stripping, which was just an awful operation that no one enjoyed. If, and I tell you, if the surgeon doesn't like the operation, it's not a very good one. But the mm-hmm. surgeon didn't like it. The patients didn't like it. So the tolerance for the disease was very high. Now someone, a, a biomechanical engineer, invented a catheter to treat these problems from within. So we actually just slide a little catheter into the offending vein now and close it with heat. Once that happened, the education of, of, of the medical community began about the nature of the disease, the prevalence, which is very high, by the way, and the ease of, uh, of treatment. So in effect, now the universities are just finally beginning to train residents in these protocols. And the result is we end up competing with the universities. Emory has opened their own vein center, and now the, all the hospitals open their own vein center. So this is a, an incredible jump in the competition for services, but an incredible jump in the number of patients who need treatment, too. And you guys were the first, right? We were the first full-service vein practice that offered every available treatment modality. Yes, we were the very first. Wonderful. Great. Um, so as... You guys know, um, listeners know, we always love to talk about the relationship between our guests because we always have folks who know each other and, you know, Beth and David are married. So I would love it if you would just tell us a little bit about, you know, what being, you know, a so-called power couple 
is like and how that affects your, you know, the way you run your businesses, the way you, you think about your business to the extent that it does. You want to feel that one, honey? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Great question. Um, so, so I've been at my job for 25 years. And so I started out as the executive director and my title is now CEO. And it's, you know, it, it takes uh, a great partner to put up with the long hours and the time and attention away from home. And, um, but then you got two of you with that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, so, so my business probably uh, when we started out 25 years ago, when you're starting out a company, um, so mine's 25 years old. It's just, it's, uh, it's 24 seven. And I think about my job 24 seven and running a nonprofit, we have a board of directors. And so I, we've got our, the patients that we serve and our donors in the community. We have a lot of different constituents. Um, David's business is 13 years old. So I had about maybe a 10 or a 12 year period where, um, he could really help me and support me. And then when he started his company, it was time for me to, to really support him in, in more of that way that he supported me. But I think as I, as I look back on um, how we've grown together in our roles as CEOs, it's been a lot of fun for me to watch David. When I met David, we were both working at Emory University Hospital. I was getting my master's. David was a, a registered nurse in one of the intensive care units. And I've watched a clinical nurse specialist turn into a very visionary CEO, um, which, which, uh, and I'm really proud of him. And, and it's just been a great, a great fun watching him. And, and I think about his role supporting me. Um, as Skyland Trail has grown, we've obviously have a, a very public image in the Atlanta community. We do a lot of fun. I do do a lot of fundraising. We have a lot of events and David has been a great partner when it comes to, I'm going to call him my great work husband because he, uh, really has loved getting to know the nonprofit world, the way it works, uh, the constituents that we serve, all of our donors and board members who really have a passion for the mission and and really a passion for such a great cause. It's been a lot of fun for him to get to know those people um, and also to uh, to really support me in, in that cause. Great. And what about you, David? Well, you, you and I spoke earlier about this, and, and Beth is really the big shot in our family. So I, I, I and I, I, I and say I that told him that's how he stayed married. Exactly how I, stayed married. <laughs> I don't know that I agree with that, yeah. but thanks. Honey. But but in fact, it's true. She is a, a much more visible person running a very important project, which is a much larger project than my own, by the way, in terms of volume and num numbers of people served, et cetera. So. She enjoys watching me. Really, I've enjoyed watching her begin this thing. It's like watching someone plant a little tree, and then you know, one day it's shade. So I, I, I likely would never have believed it possible for myself to get where I am as, as far as starting a business, actually getting the thing off the ground and running it, if I hadn't uh, seen this happen firsthand uh, with Beth. It's really been quite remarkable. What's the single best piece of advice that Beth has given you? Business advice. I've uh, okay <laughs> because I, I'm I'm constantly getting <laughs> getting advice about my I personal have to clarify habits that and, on this and clothing, and this et <laughs> You know, I thought about this, and I think uh, the probably the best thing she ever told me was to keep a very careful eye on finances and watch everything because the little things have a way of adding up. So she she has uh, she's been quite firm about that, and I think she runs her own organization the same way. Mm -hmm. What about you, Beth? What's the single best best advice that David, business advice that David has given you? As I, I've been thinking about that question, and 
David and his team have done just an excellent job of branding their company mm-hmm. and they have. really uh, in every, every medium you can think of. And in the nonprofit world, we don't really think about that. And so I've watched him brand his company, and I think he has really encouraged me to um, think about marketing, 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 and branding, branding, branding many years ago. And as such, today we have a great marketing and communications team at Skyline Trail who have just gone beyond my wildest imagination in terms of, of, of our, what they've done for us in terms of uh, marketing uh, Skyland Trail and branding Skyland Trail in the community and beyond. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I'm very curious about is you mentioned, Beth, how much psychic and emotional energy and time it takes to be an effective CEO. And now you have, you have both of you guys who are in that position. How do you carve out the time and the, the space to continue to no- nurture your personal relationship? Um, uh, share a love of travel, and we've developed some... <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and at home, it's, uh, I, I think that I have learned from David to probably laugh a little bit more, be a little bit less serious... Uh, when I get home, and and he encouraged me many years ago to get a dog, which uh, was a challenge for me. So now we have two dogs and spend uh, some some great moments at home together with our dogs. You want to? Oh, no, I, I I have to echo that. I think I think for any any couple who are achieving, or any couple has one really achieving member. It's kind of the way we are. We have one really achieving member. I think uh, 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 particular care has to be uh, paid to that. Particular attention has to be paid to the relationship. That's fortunate that Beth and I are so fond of one another. We're very, we're really very close friends in addition to everything else. So it, it, it kind of smooths out the rough days. Mm-hmm. Have you seen your relationship change over time? Absolutely. How? I'm better at taking instruction. (laughs) (laughs) I've learned to make lists for him now since he won't make his own list. But I I think that, you know, obviously we are going to be celebrating our 25th anniversary next year, um, wedding anniversary. So, you know, we've both grown up together and and, uh, learn how to deal with the stresses of, of very high pressure jobs and then living together and trying to support each other and give each other advice, which isn't always welcomed by the other, but um, <laughs> um, um, patience, tolerance, love, but we do have a great affection for each other. And, and you know, it's, it's been, you know, we're, we're older and wiser, I guess. Yeah, it was great because I saw, you know, David, you were reassuring Beth as the, the interview was beginning to start. And, you know, the, the chemistry is, is, uh, is obvious, which is really great to see after 25 years, right? Oh, yeah. I, I think, and I think, at least speaking for myself, there's a lot of respect you know, you, when you when you watch someone really get something done, the way I've watched Beth really get something done, the, uh, there, uh, there's a certain respect that forms there that I I, I I would not have imagined if you know I hadn't been in that situation. Hmm. And how has has being married to a CEO? You talked about some of the specific things that you've learned from him, but in terms of your leadership um, and how you maybe manage or interact with. Um, with the people who work for you, how has the, the, the marriage actually influenced your leadership? You know, I, uh, I, I think back on those early years, and I think we were both young in our careers. I, I think one of the things that has been important for me and important for both of us is um, just 
always do the right thing. And David and I talk about that, and I remember talking with my dad about that. But you always know in the back of your mind what the right decision is. And and if there's ever a question and we bounce ideas off each other, we talk about some personnel issues that we might be having difficulty with. And it always comes back to, to making sure you do the right thing. I think one of the things um, that guides me and, and, and guides David is just looking at what you see is what you get. And I think authenticity is very, very important in leadership because your team wants to be led by and wants to see a person who um, really cares about the mission and cares about you know the staff as a whole and about the, the direction of the organization. Um, I, I know that David has uh, is a lot of passion for his team, and they've done such a great job. We have a, a great staff at Skyland Trail that I'm so proud of that really does the hard work and the heavy lifting every single day. And, and you know, treating people that have mental illness um, and being with them and really helping them along in their recovery is not, not, not easy work at all. So I really admire and respect um, the people doing the heavy lifting every day at Skyland Trail. Got it. What about you, David? How's how's being married to Beth changed your leadership or affected or grown your leadership? Uh, you know, that for me, that's an interesting question. I'm not a natural manager of people. I'm more of a sit on the bench with the team kind of guy and just be one of the gang. And that, unfortunately, really doesn't work if you're trying to lead an organization in a certain direction. Beth, on the other hand, is an extremely good manager, and so I've learned a great deal about that sort of leadership just from watching her. So she's given you, you asked the best advice earlier, and I really gave you the wrong answer. The financial advice was great, but the, the really the best advice was how to, how to take the front position in a team and guide the team in the direction in which you wish it to go. Mm-hmm. Beth mentioned that she sees you as a real visionary. So w- tell us a little bit about that vision. What, what is your vision for, for Vane Innovations? Well, in, 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 the story is that as a, as a nurse, I was a, a nurse uh, uh, first assistant, like an advanced practice in the operating room. So I worked for heart surgeons harvesting this vein called the greater saphenous vein. And that's the one we would use to create arterial conduits when we did cardiac bypass surgery. So it was a very interesting job. I loved it. I loved the interaction with patients, and I loved the surgery itself. When I, when I discovered, which I should have known, of course, that the saphenous vein was the one responsible for, for superficial venous insufficiency <clears throat> and that how the structure actually worked, it became a lot more interesting. And then when I discovered that uh, there was actually a way to treat it without putting people in the hospital and removing the thing in, in, a, in a rather unpleasant fashion, uh, I might add, uh, it occurred to me that I'd seen my life change. So really, the, for, for me, the vision was, was almost an immediate thing. And once it had happened, it had happened, it was all over. And so I just pushed the company forward. I pu- pushed the idea and the company forward. Mm-hmm. And, and what's next as you think about the, your forward-looking vision for the company? I, th- I think that the, t- the two big issues confronting uh, medical practices such as ours, which is, a f- which is a fairly large practice, really, when you get down to it in terms mm-hmm. of dollar volume, number of physicians and locations, we, of course, are growing. We have an office uh, opening in Midtown in June, which we're very excited about. I see a, a much larger group of offices that can provide the same high-quality product at a lower price. So those are the challenges that confront medicine, you know, making it more widely available and reducing the price. So that's, that's, that's what I see the next 10 years. Yeah. And what about you, Beth? 
So as I mentioned earlier, we're in the middle of a major growth effort with the capital campaign that we just finished. And we recently, um, as part of that capital campaign, the $18 million campaign, uh, another big project was expanding our primary care services. So a big trend in, in the mental health world is really um, integrating primary care with mental health treatment. So when you treat somebody on a, that has a mental health issue in a, in a psychiatric setting, what we're doing is we're treating the whole person. So we don't just treat the mind. We also treat the body through primary care. Um, one of the, the statistics that you hear often is that people that have a major mental illness die, uh, have a 25% shorter life expectancy than the rest of the population. And the reason for that is they don't oftentimes get the kind of treatment they need for their, their physical illnesses. So what we've done at Skyland Troll 10 years ago, we put in a small primary care clinic to treat the people we serve. We've just expanded it and opened it up to people in Atlanta that have a mental illness that need a medical home uh, for their physical illnesses. So we cut the ribbon on that facility about a month ago, um, and it's open for business as we broke ground on this new young adult campus. So as we look toward the future, we will go into strategic planning mode as soon as this young adult campus is open in the spring of 2016 and look at what is next in terms of trying to meet the needs of our constituents and you know for there's so much need out there for people that have mental illnesses and I think we are looking at how do we expand our continuum how do we go deeper in Atlanta is it adolescent services child services um um, so it is a continuing look at meeting the needs of our constituents. Our board has been very great about planning for the future needs. Mm-hmm. As, a, as a strategist, which is what I do with clients, I mean, the strategic planning process is of great interest to me. So um, how do you think about your strategy in the context of, of your greater mission to, to do this great work that you're doing for, for people? You know, the, the altruistic mission versus the the hard-nosed, you know, financial and business constraints that you have to face as well. Do you see a conflict or a tension between them at any time? Well, you know, as an as a nonprofit, that doesn't mean we we have to be have red ink all the time, and we are constantly trying to to make ends meet through fundraising and. Um, um, you know, all the buildings we have at Skyland Trail. So we, we've been through four strategic plans at Skyland Trail, and those strategic plans have really gr- guided the growth and direction of this organization, starting with our first facility back in 1989, which was a 24-bed residential treatment center, and we're going to have 80 beds very soon. All the facilities that we have at Skyland Trail, we have three campuses across DeKalb County, have been built with philanthropic dollars, so we have no debt on any of our buildings, which I think is a very um, responsible and prudent way to spend the dollars that have, been, that have been donated to us. It's also a big accomplishment. It is. Yeah, that's, it's, it's great. Um, but, you know, nonprofits and people forget this. They um, need to be run like businesses. And so, as David said earlier, we have a real keen eye on expenses. And a lot of times when you have millions of dollars being donated to your nonprofit, Employees don't often realize, well, if all this money is coming in the door, why can't I get, why don't I have a bigger salary? Why don't I have a bigger raise? Why can't we have this new program? And um, it's uh, restricted dollars for capital needs aren't always what you have for operating needs. So oftentimes, you know, nonprofits need to operate at a break-even point, and there is that that friction. We're raising money for specific, specific programs, art programs, music programs, programs that aren't covered by insurance necessarily. So 
it's a constant um, um, struggle or it's a constant uh, issue to be looking at uh, making ends meet from from your operations. Mm-hmm. One question that I'm curious about is um, whether rightly or wrongly, CEOs tend to have a uh, uh, be portrayed as being really controlling, authoritative. And as David, you mentioned, in order to get folks to move in a particular direction, sometimes you need, do need to be a little bit, um, you know, authoritative to some extent. Um, but do you ever find that there's sometimes tension, you know, with two strong kind of maybe driver personalities? Is there, is there ever a, a, an opportunity where, or an instance where, you know, he may be trying to, to lead, and you're like, no, not so much? <clears throat> well, I've got another story. Okay, <laughs> please. <laughs> so uh, Beth and I, Beth went on a, a, a trip to the Middle East that was a, a travel seminar kind of thing with uh, several seminary students and some lay people. At the end of the trip, we met all in, uh, in uh, Athens to go for a, a, a catamaran sail in the Aegean. So it was a, the perfect vacation. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it was Beth and... Uh, Four, uh, four other women and myself on this boat. And so I'm, 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 I'm a, co- a common friend of ours who was a patient of mine. And she happened to know everybody on the trip. And I was explaining it to her. We were getting ready to go. And she looked at me, gave me a long look. She said, that sounds like a lot of chiefs on one boat. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yeah, a lot of chiefs and one little Indian. And that's me. I'm the little Indian. Well, not necessarily think- true, but all right, go ahead. Um, yes, to answer that question, it is. It can. It can be a, a, a clash of wills, and um, so David reminds me when I get home from work that I'm not necessarily the CEO. When I get home, and uh, and I forget that, and I, we just have a different style. And I'm very focused and very directed. And David is, uh, and and I love to make lists, and I just have to, you know. Uh, somewhat task-oriented, but I love to check things off the list, and it kind of keeps me moving forward and keeps my focus out there. And for the life of me, I cannot get him to make a list. And um, so when I said he was more visionary, David kind of likes the big picture, details not so much, but um, at home, he, he if, if we're going to be doing a redecorating project, I'll ask him if he really wants to be involved. Not really, but when it comes down to selecting the sofa, he does really want to be involved. So there's 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 some clashes from time to time, yeah. That's great. And um, David, uh-huh. in terms of you, you said that you're a, a you know a little chief, but it sounds to me like you also must have a really good sense of self, right? Because in the kind of greater world, to be a nurse, right, and to kind of come through the ranks, and now you have a business where you're you've actually you're hiring doctors. Typically, you've kind of flipped the what's considered to be the traditional hierarchy. And so, um, how does I mean, how did you kind of progress through that as you were growing in your own personal growth and development and becoming a leader yourself? Well, a- again, part of that I part of that I attribute to just watching Beth grow Skyland Trail, which was amazing. Uh, again, I can't I can't overstate that. Part of it, uh, of course, is that I'm not really sure there is a natural hierarchy uh, in medicine. I mean, there, there's, there's no, there's a perceived one. Though. There's a perceived one, right? And it's I think, not real, but right. Well, that, and that's a very good point. And so, as as a, a you know a male, particularly who worked in this profession for many years, when I I, I got out of nursing school in 1980, so it was it was not quite a pioneer. But I think in my class of 150, there were maybe three men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, having having gone through that and sort of watched that happen, it was pretty easy for me to 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 slide out of that role of the subordinate. 
However, not so easy for my physician partners to slide out of the role as superior. Yeah, I know. So really, there the struggle the struggle was really less with me than it, than it was, I think, within them. Uh, and I, I finally came to the realization, sadly, that it's very difficult to partner with with people who believe that they're always at the top of the food chain, and it's much easier just to hire them. So once I hi- started hiring physicians, instead of offering them partnerships, <laughs> everything got better. Got it. Got it. It's really smart, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so how do you, what, so as you look at your, you know, your own personal growth and development, both of you as, as leaders, um, do you see areas where you're continuing to nurture your own growth and, and think about you know, the kind of leader that you want to become next? I am, and I, I think you always, you always have that self-doubt and question yourself, you know, am I the best leader for this organization? And I, I think it's a good question for particularly in the nonprofit world because I think that change is good. Um, uh, in fact, the, our annual report that just came out is all about change. That's our theme. Um, but I, I do look at uh, the thing that I think is very, very important for all of us as leaders is ways to constantly inspire and motivate and motivate our staff um, and our board members in, in the nonprofit world. So we have a constantly evolving board of directors who really set the tone and direction for Skyland Trail. And, and I feel very lucky to have probably the best board in Atlanta, nonprofit board in Atlanta. They are movers and shakers. They're passionate people. They're very involved in the community, and they have opened a lot of doors for us in terms of mental health in the philanthropic world. We couldn't have raised $18 million if it hadn't been for our board and our great campaign leadership. But but continuing to um, motivate them uh, and keep them passionate about the work that we're doing. Mm-hmm. What about you, Dave? I guess it, 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 I would restate what Beth said. I would also say that... For me, I've, 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 I think I've learned. For one thing, we've we've managed to attract some really top-notch people to be on our team. So uh, that is that is one of the leadership skills that is not to me innate. It's something that has to be learned. We well, hiring bring, people. The hiring people. Which ones to bring in? You know, Beth's always said to me, "Hire slow, fire fast," and I I completely agree with that. Although I never would have. You know, the humanitarian in me never would have believed that before, but I certainly believe it now. But I think assembling the team, at least this, this is what I'm, I'm sort of learning, first assemble the team and then let them sort of figure the direction, which, which direction will be easiest for them and most, most enjoyable for them to take, if that, if that makes any sense. Because mm-hmm. once you have total buy-in from the team, there's, there's really no end to where you can go. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that we're working on now is we try to build an organization that's small to mid-sized and then one day per- perhaps to sort of a larger-sized organization. So you, you're saying as you progress through the, gro- the growth, uh, the process of building the team is changing? Exactly. I think, as, as I think the more one scales up, the more buy-in one has to have from the staff. And I will tell you, from after watching Beth again for 25 years, I remember... She's the only one, by the way, who's who's left from that original group, right? So she's the leader; is the only one left. And I, <laughs> I look at the I look at the group the groups who have preceded the group that's there now, and I have to say that the group of people she has now, virtually without exception, are superior in every way to the groups that she had coming up. So as the organization has grown, so is the quality of the people who work within it, and I, that. I suppose is a natural phenomenon, but it's it, it, it is one that that has to be fully understood if you want to develop things the way they should be developed. Great. 
So what is, what's the biggest challenge that you guys are, are facing in each of your businesses as you look forward? You know, for us, the largest challenge is the same challenge all medical practices have, squeezing reimbursements, getting smaller and smaller, and expanding costs, getting larger and larger. So we deal with that particularly we have no real cushion and, you know, no support from the community, dear. <laughs> so, it, for, you know, for, for us, it's always a matter of, of uh, making sure those revenue cycles uh, stay, stay tight and, and stay on the positive side. Mm-hmm. And I think that will get more difficult. Now, of course, I, I, for us, that's both challenge and, uh, and danger. It's opportunity, right? So it's, it's, we like that. We, like, we, we think we can thrive in an environment like that. But it, is, it does have to be watched carefully. So when you say uh, it's an opportunity, are you guys looking at like medical innovation to drive costs down or process improvement to get more efficiency? Why do you see that as an opportunity? Well, it, you, you, you put your finger right on it. We are looking at, at alternative sorts of procedures uh, uh, to the ones that we currently do that will be less expensive and easier on the patients. And the, you know, the technology evolves, so paying attention to that is important. The, uh, as Mark Twain once said, to a man with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So if I think visionaries have to put down the hammer and, and forget about looking for nails. There are other things to find. Mm-hmm. And for us, that's particularly true. So I would, say, I would say, in fact, there's a whole industry built up around the specific procedure we do, which is ablation of a vein, the destruction of a vein using a thermal or, or heat, heated catheter. There's billions and billions of dollars are spent every year on this. I believe within five years we won't be doing that procedure anymore. I think that's that's a rapid pace of innovation. Wow! So that's huge. So the so the you're thinking that the entire business is going to have to change in five years. I think the I think the 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 model of yes, I don't think the model of delivery of care will change. I think it will still be office based, et cetera, okay, et cetera. Yeah. But I think the actual procedure itself will change. You know, there's a thing called the the uh, the the the, the failure of cycle. Things fail much faster now because innovation is driven so quickly. So what, what was good five years ago, eh, not so good today. And that's the case with this procedure uh, we currently have, which was a hundredfold vast improvement over the surgical procedure that preceded it. The next innovation will be just as dramatic. And I, uh, we'll see it within five years. Do you know what that next innovation is? It will involve either it'll involve a chemical deposition in the vein that will cause the vein to close permanently, and already Covidian, now a part of Medtronic's, has come up with a device that will deposit a very small layer of superglue, believe it or not, in the vein and seal it shut. Well, superglue has been used in medicine for many, many years. By the way, we just we they send out to the hardware store for it. <laughs> uh, so that that is one thing there, and I think there are other other methods that are coming along that, that uh, have not yet been revealed, but they're, they're out there. And so how do you stay as a, as a CEO? How do you stay so open to change? Because what's probably predictable is that a number of people kind of get stuck in, fall in love with the procedure as it is now, and they won't see the tidal wave that's coming. So how do you, what makes you so willing and open to, to change? Because a lot of CEOs aren't. Well, really, my belief is the most important thing I can do is provide a really good product. That is the most important thing. So that's it for us. We provide a really good product. I believe that if if one provides the product efficiently and and, and maintains that level of quality, that, that, that success will naturally follow. And I actually believe that's true. So for me, the best product is the best product, no matter what it is. When 
the, the product we happen to use is a radio frequency device, and that company went public about eight or ten years ago, and they, our, 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 uh, our rep called me up and invited me to buy some stock in the IPO, and I turned it down because I, I didn't want to be thinking about that when, it, when the next new advance came along, you know, or to be ready to shift gears. So that's, that's, that's it. I think, I think it, in order to really lead effectively, one has to be completely open to, to new ideas. And what about your people? Are they, do you find that they're as, em, as embracing of change as you are? Because they're going to, whatever they're doing today, you're saying in a few years they're going to have to get retrained, everything's going to have to shift. Well, I, I, th- I think the, the techniques will remain fairly similar. Okay. But, uh, you know, the, f- the physicians we have uh, working with us now are not at all resistant to change. In fact, they're very open-minded. I think that's a necessary part of it. Uh, if they weren't, then they probably wouldn't be staying with us. Right. So that goes back to the hiring. You've done a good job of finding people who have the same values that you have. Exactly. Great. What about you, Beth? What is, what's the biggest challenge that you see on the, the, the horizon? I've been thinking about this as David's been talking, and it's probably not just one, but, but several. And I think one of the, the, the biggest challenges today is the shortage of, of trained mental health professionals. Uh, really, there's a shortage of psychiatrists nationally. Um, we're seeing it in the Southeast. Um, we're trying to hire a full-time psychiatrist, and it's been a very difficult um, task trying to find uh, somebody that um, to, to do that job, and just, just mental health professionals in general. So as we grow and as the need for more mental health services grow, I think we're going to see some, some real challenges in terms of getting the right people um, in place. And today, if you try to go and make an appointment with a psychiatrist in the community, you might have a six-month wait, which... It's startling. Mm-hmm. It's it's scary. I, I think we talked about earlier um, insurance coverage, and I think trying to continue to educate our insurers about the benefits of mental health treatment and continuing care in mental health, I think that is going to be a challenge that all of us in the mental health world and the psychiatric world need to take on and begin to educate our insurers about the kinds of positive outcomes you can see after sustained periods of treatment in a recovery facility. Um, I think uh, stigma will continue to be a challenge for, for our communities and our, our nation and helping people understand that people that have a mental illness are just like everybody else. They just happen to have a brain disorder. Um, and that's really the, tr- the message we try to send to the Atlanta community through treatment at Skyland Trail. And I guess lastly is really trying to address the growing um, crisis of suicide in our in our society we've all seen the headlines uh suicide is now the second leading cause of death of college students um it's it's we are being called into action to speak at uh high schools to students and to parents about the growing rates of mental health issues in high school students these students go to college they don't have good coping skills and um, oftentimes it results in suicide so i think we have a, a, a lot of uh, growing issues and concerns and challenges in the mental health world. Mm. Well, um, you guys both have obviously have weathered challenges. Uh, you both have very successful, longstanding businesses. Um, but I would love to hear about, y- you mentioned some new, both mentioned a lot of new things that are happening in your practices. Um, so Beth, you want to tell us, you mentioned the new facility yeah. and the the um the youth facility that you've built um anything else that you want to share that's that's happening at Skyland Trail? Yeah, so we have a couple of uh great events coming up that I would love to share with the listening audience and the the, the one that's right around the corner is uh something it's our I think it's our 16th year of an event called Arts in the Garden. 
And it is on May 1st, Friday, May the 1st, from 10 until 3. And this is a great day at Skyland Trail. And it's a day that really showcases the abilities of people across Atlanta that have a disability. And so we are the host um, organization for people from nonprofits across the city, the Shepherd Center, other mental health organizations. And we have a big activity center, and it's full of people that have their booths with art for sale from jewelry and paintings and pottery and knitting and felt work. We have musical performances all day long. So it's a great way to really showcase the abilities of people that have some sort of a disability to the Atlanta community at large. So I would invite all your listeners to come to Skyland Trail uh, on Friday, May the 1st. And then, yeah, it's a great day, um, a lot of fun. And then on June the 9th, we have an annual lecture series called the Dorothy C. Fuqua Lecture Series. It was named in honor of one of our founding board members. And this is an opportunity for people to come to Skyland Trail and learn a little bit more about mental health issues. This year, our guest speaker is Dr. Richard Kogan, who is a psychiatrist, but also a Juilliard-trained concert pianist. And he has studied um, some of our great composers, Beethoven, Schumann, and he, who have a mental health history, and he studies mm-hmm. their music and um, talks to the audience about what their mood might have been while they were writing that piece of music, and then he plays the music along with um, his explanation. So that is June the 9th at 7 p.m. Um, at the Skyland Trail Health and Education Center, and it's called Music, Mood, and Madness. So that's another uh, fun event coming up, and they're both free to the public. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. And what about you, David? Nothing as interesting as all that. We are opening a new office in Midtown at, uh, at 1355 Peachtree Street. Uh, You're so good at deferring to her. Yeah. Well, it's, e- it's easy enough to years do. Years of it practice. Really <laughs> 25 years of practice. You have them so well trained. Exactly. Oh, you only uh, think. So, yeah, so, so we're opening a new office, uh, and we're excited about that. And then uh, we're, we're still, as I said, and, or may have alluded to, we're, we're working on new procedures. So we, there's a lot, a lot in store for, for us in the, in the coming years. And you uh, you mentioned that you have like a growing um, lo- set of locations. So how many locations do you have? This will be our third. Okay. Uh, I think that uh, Atlanta uh, can sustain probably four or five vein innovations. There are so many people here. So we'll, we're looking to get uh, two or three open in the next year or so. And we're looking to expand regionally as well. Very good. All right. Well, um, if folks are interested in uh, in hearing more speaking to you more about um, anything they've heard today, how can they get in touch with you? Beth? Uh, They can call me at Skyland Rail at the main number, 404-315-8333. And we have a website. It's www.skylandtrail.org. Thank you. And David? Our website is veininnovations.com or greatlegsforlife.com. And our telephone number, yes, is uh, our telephone number is 678-731-9815. And that's our main number, and I can be reached through there. All right. Wonderful. Thank you so much for a great show. It's been Thank great you having you. Guys. Thank for you. Having pleasure us. being Enjoyed here. It. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at anonaenterprises.com. <laughs>